0: Hello and welcome to the PLMR podcast. My name's Neve Mercer and I'm a senior account manager at PLMR, and today's podcast is all about the upcoming government budget. As this will be the first budget since Brexit, and with the end of the COVID-19 lockdown restrictions seemingly in sight, all eyes will be on the Chancellor to see what lies ahead for the UK as we move out of what's been a very volatile and uncertain period. Last year's budget was labeled the coronavirus budget and a year later, we can likely expect some more COVID-focused policies to be announced on the 3rd of March. Some things like extended business holiday rates and the furlough scheme seem more certain than others to feature. But of course, all industries will have their own hopes for what the chancellor will announce for their particular sectors. So joining me today to discuss these issues are Dawn Howard, CEO of the National Office of Animal Health, and Anne Lim, Chair of the UK Innovation Corridor. So it would be great if you could both tell us a little bit about yourselves and the work that you do. Um, Dawn, starting with you, if you don't mind.
1: Hi, great. Well, thanks very much. And it's uh, great to have an opportunity to uh, share some of some of our thoughts with you. Um, so. Noa, we like to drop the national office off because that creates confusion. People think we're a government department, but we're not. We are very clearly a trade association. And we represent the majority of animal health businesses here in the UK. And this includes both global multinationals and small family owned uh, SMEs, which are totally UK based. And our member companies activities range from product manufacture through to sales and marketing and some research. And those product portfolios, they cover everything from livestock to companion animals and aquaculture. And just, just like to sort of point out as well, it is a highly regulated industry. It's the same as human medicines. And consequently, many of the jobs in the sector, they're highly skilled and often very, very specialist. So if you've got a pet you've probably used one of my members products. If you eat eggs, if you drink milk, then the farmers who who's produced them will probably have used my members products. And that could be anything from simple pain relief through to vaccines or flea treatments. So that's just a little short explanation of what we do.
0: Brilliant. Thank you. Um, Anne, can I turn
1: to you? Yeah, well, great to hear
2: about what Dawn does. And um, I love NOAA. I think it's a great acronym. But uh, I'm Anne Lim and I'm the independent business chair of the UK Innovation Corridor which is essentially um, a life sciences, health sciences, um, digital science corridor that runs uh, from King's Cross and North London uh, right up to the Cambridge-Peterborough area and through um, obviously Essex and, and Hertfordshire. We are actually not a trade association, we're a voluntary association of local government authorities so our members are 14 local authorities that stretch uh, along that 65-mile radial corridor I've uh, I've just mentioned. And I think where the links are with um, what we just heard about uh, animal health and uh, probably illustrated in our uh, innovation corridor is that you've got a combination of fantastic academic research development capacity Uh, Yes, in London and in Cambridge particularly, and and we're talking about global centres of scientific excellence, but you've also got um, a huge development of uh, manufacturing, putting that research uh, into practice, uh, all sizes of companies from your AstraZenecas in Cambridge, of course, but Mm -hmm. through to small SMEs um, uh, and other manufacturing facilities that support the scientific Uh, superpower base which is actually what we think we are globally as a as a as a region so animal health fits very very nicely uh, into that in fact
0: brilliant well thank you both so much um two really diverse and interesting sectors so i'm really looking forward to hearing some of your thoughts on this um this topic then of the budget as we look towards it next week a time of recording this so if i could just start off by asking What does a good budget look like for you? Um, And what would you really like to see the Chancellor prioritising for your sectors? Um, Maybe, Anne, I can turn to you first.
2: Um, Yeah, well, uh, in order of, um, I suppose, importance, actually, it would be rather nice if the uh, the Chancellor actually mentioned the UK Innovation Corridor (laughs) or the East of England as a whole. Uh, uh, We're all for the levelling up agenda, how could you not be? Uh, But just a name check of of a part of the country, uh, which obviously I represent, a significant regional economic geography would uh, be, be most welcome specifically, I'd like his uh, budget to really concentrate on what I just referred to in my introduction, really, in mm-hmm. which his own government, the Department of Business, uh, is very much keen on, and that is uh, post-Brexit, post-pandemic, this country becoming a scientific superpower. Um, mm-hmm. And so I'd particularly like some recognition of the Innovation Corridor's role and contribution in to how we uh, help achieve uh, that ambition for, for, for the government and of course it would be nice to have a bit of money behind it sure. um, but, but finally I think what I'd like to see as well is and, and obviously these are very um, uh, specific things to my regional economic geography but you know there is a there's, there's a real opportunity not to reset the dial on everything because of the pandemic and Brexit but to perhaps take a fresh look at the way we do things and the way in which local authorities, businesses of all sizes, universities, colleges, uh, work together collaboratively. And uh, we have a really good example of that in our um, innovation corridor, and, and so much so that the Ministry of Housing um, and Communities and Local Governments have just given us some money to, uh, to begin to look at how we can connect some of those places up and have a, a, a look at a kind of housing capacity along the whole Um, corridor and I think I'd like to see some encouragement and incentives to do much more of that joining up not structurally changing you know not Mm. focusing on mayoral combined authorities or devolution or reform of local government but just incentives for strategic collaborative partnerships.
0: Okay brilliant Um, and just on that kind of research and development piece I think that's something which has been talked a lot quite a lot in the last few kind of you know budgets with some more funding encouragingly being put towards it do you think that kind of would would it be stronger to have an increasing maybe regional focus or be linked stronger with leveling up or do you think that kind of top level approach is working or is this a time to really you know like the uk innovation corridor see what we can do in those regions and really showcase that better i think it's a very
2: good question um my own view is that levelling up in some areas of the United Kingdom does not have to mean levelling down in others. Um, uh, you know, these are not either or. So I'm not at all, a, I mean, I'm a northerner by background. Mm. I was born in Manchester. I went to university in Liverpool, but I think um, I sound more um, Mancunian really in terms of my intonation than uh, haven't retained quite the Liverpoolian accent you've got. <laughs> but the point is, of course we need as a country to support communities uh, in the North and in the Midlands. It's not about being against that. It's about recognizing that over the next five, 10 years, This country has to punch its weight really big time in things that we are specialist in. Mm -hmm. And you know the pandemic has shown that the application of research and development in universities to scientific manufacture and development through the likes of AstraZeneca, collaboration between those two and the supply chains in between, uh, can accelerate the pace of change and produce something that's really world beating and world class. So, why would you not invest regionally, to answer your question, right. in areas and in uh, uh, where there is a concentration and a specialism that can accelerate our um, economic recovery? Because that's oh. what's needed. And at the same time, can encourage and help and support Manchester, the Midlands, um, and elsewhere in the country. Uh, because I think we can do that too.
0: Absolutely. Um, so then for you, Dawn, I suppose obviously your organisation, as you mentioned, kind of supports right from research to manufacturing and production. So what does a, a good budget look like for you and what are you hoping to see next week?
1: I think a very, a very simple answer is putting business first. Uh, because if we don't have strong viable businesses here, then any of the long term political aims and goals which the government has, businesses is just, just not going to survive to get there. Mm-hmm. And that's common across all businesses. And you're probably hearing similar sort of comments coming from all sorts of sectors. And so what we'd be looking for is a raft of measures to improve the general business environment and to make the UK as attractive a place for business and investment as possible. And whether that's improving skills, improving IP protection, tax breaks or grants, you know, encouraging investment here in the UK. But looking at some um, some very sort of specific examples where taxation could benefit things in our area, and by taxation, I mean, obviously, uh, reduced taxation rather than more taxation. Yeah. Basically, no extra taxes for pet owners. We've seen throughout the COVID pandemic, uh, many, many people have been and are still struggling to do the best for their pets. And that's against a back background where so many people have got new pets and so many people have really, really benefited uh, from having their pets. They've been uh, really important for uh, mental and physical well-being. And at the moment we're facing a new plastic tax, which on the face of it sounds like a very good thing because it's designed to encourage uh, greater use of recycled plastic in various types of packaging or reducing plastic use overall. However, whilst human medicines are exempt, those for animals are not exempt. And manufacturers have looked at the problem, how they can uh, use more recycled plastic in their packaging. And for many, many medical products, veterinary medical products, it's just not possible to do it. So they would have to go back, completely re-engineer a product, which at the end of the day is going to possibly increase the price, but likely to reduce customer choice and push up costs for all. So what seems like a good idea and it's been, um, it's been accepted that for human medicines, we're not going to apply it. Animal medicines have not been exempted. And so that's something which we would like to see. And mm. on a similar vein, vaccination, mm. everybody now recognizes the real importance of vaccination. And it's the same in animal health. For animals, preventative vaccination is a great way to improve um, animal health and welfare. What about considering either removing or reducing VAT on vaccines to so encourage pet owners to vaccinate and to encourage farmers to vaccinate their livestock. I think also that it's it really is time for an appreciation by government of the huge resource that many businesses have put into their Brexit planning and the real problems that they're now having with moving goods over borders. But in our sector what's really been a problem is not necessarily our own industry's Brexit planning because the animal health sector has been very well, it's, it's been very proactive um, and put measures in place to avoid a lot of border disruption. But one of our largest marketplaces, which is the livestock sector, they're experiencing real problems. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you know, we, we really need government to put some of those incentives in place to help the farming sector as well. That helps them and it also helps us in the animal health sector. And going back to what um, Anne was talking about, you know, our great R&D base here in the UK and animal health R&D. We have real centres of excellence here in the UK. So it'd be great to see greater tax breaks for R&D. And earlier this week, I was uh, lucky to be part of the National Farmers Union Conference, where they had a video uh, message from the Prime Minister. and really, really pleased to hear him say that we need to improve animal health. We need to improve animal welfare, which we all support. But again, to be able to do that, we need the product innovation, therefore bring in more incentives, incentivize our R&D so that we can rapidly bring some of these new products to market.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And interesting, you mentioned the kind of the plastic packaging tax, which, you know, on the surface of things for someone who might just think, you know, great I'm happy to see the government introducing more maybe like environmental measures and I think maybe we can expect to see more things like that especially in the run-up now to the rescheduled COP26 conference this year but would you say this is this quite common that perhaps there needs to be more of a dialogue with these sectors who are often overlooked when these measures are being put together and is that something you know I think we discussed earlier the, the sort of idea that now's a good chance to really reset and think what we want to do coming out of this COVID pandemic. Is that something which, within the veterinary and animal sector, more dialogue could be opened to you and the different people you work with?
1: Yeah, that's a very good point, Neem. And I think it also feeds into the government's better regulation agenda, because very often there's unintended consequences if you have new regulations coming in or in this case new taxes and it may well be that something appears to be a very good thing to do and in the majority of cases it is Mm -hmm. but what are those unintended consequences what is the impact on certain sectors uh smes vulnerable communities there's things which as you say they need to be better connected in and it needs to be easier for them to connect in If you're looking at a a lot of small businesses or a lot of smaller sectors they may not just have the resource to track everything that's happening in government which again comes back to why trade associations like NOAA are actually important because we can try and do some of that signposting and guidance but it's tricky it is tricky and government wants to move at quite a pace I think to bring a lot of improvements in and as you as you rightly say COP26 is going to be a great motivator to move a lot of these things along really quickly.
0: Yeah, so as this is the first like post-Brexit budget, what would you say have kind of been the biggest challenges that your sectors have seen, you know, along with the pandemic? And how do you think that your sector can really contribute to that post-coronavirus recovery? Um, and if I can turn it back to you.
2: Well, I'd, yeah, to answer that, I'll just pick up on a couple of things that Dawn has said, um, mm. which I, I think are very relevant. Um, one is uh, to pick up. After a pandemic, given the, the economy as it is now, the, uh, the, the state of many, many sectors, and you, you'll probably be talking to people from the hospitality sector and other sectors as well, but we know that unemployment is high, we know that people are having to reskill, you know, business Uh, of all size is the answer to economic recovery. So that investment in business, all the incentives that Dawn talked about uh, to encourage business to to, to grow, I think is vital. Um, I think the other thing, uh, just picking up on the green um, recovery issue or Mm -hmm. at least recovery using uh, not just uh, the COP event but actually a greater global commitment, I think now to an, an acceptance of um, a climate crisis and the the strategies moving towards net zero carbon and the dates for that and the government's ambitions for that and and all the rest of it you know uh, quite a lot of simple things in that area can be done at the level of the high street and the town center and much is made quite rightly of the uh the 15 minute community you know people now much Uh, more inclined probably going forward uh, to not use cars so much because if you can walk and you can cycle and public transport is good, uh, that's a good thing for your health and mm-hmm. for your well-being and it's a good thing for the environment and we've had a year of having to adjust our habits in that way so I think there, there really does need to be um, a, a foot on the accelerator is not the right metaphor to describe <laughs> the year uh, uh, so a foot <laughs> on the bicycle pedal or a foot in the boot but really to move, to move in on on, on green businesses uh, and the fact that you, you, that you can green any kind of business, actually, yeah. if you do it in the right way. I think, I think um, a, a budget that drew some attention to that and validated that would be welcomed by the local authority leaders that um, form part of the, the innovation corridor and will plug into what they themselves have been trying to do with the local levers of um, power that they have.
0: Brilliant. Um, and Dawn, what would you kind of say to the the point of challenges and, and how you can really, your sector can drive forward some of this recovery?
1: Um, I think looking at, at challenges, whether it's post-Brexit or post-Covid, one of the, the biggest challenges that um, our sector is facing at the moment is dealing with a very, very small market such as Northern Ireland. In the run-up to Brexit, businesses were very well organised, but of course, there was a huge amount of uncertainty. Mm -hmm. And that uncertainty only gathered some clarity right towards the end of the year with the uh, trade and continuity agreement, um, which meant that very quickly businesses were deluged with huge amounts of information telling them what they had to do. And they've managed to navigate their way through most of it quite successfully. But there is this huge um, discussion still going on over Northern Ireland. um, Mm -hmm. And as I mentioned, we're at heavily regulated area therefore navigating those regulations where you have the situation with Northern Ireland where some parts of it are controlled uh, by GB, some parts of it uh, basically have to comply with the EU regulations and, and just trying to work out how you can get a, a perhaps a fairly low value uh, pet product onto the Northern Ireland market in a legal way it's being it's that is a real headache for many businesses so I think at the moment you go and ask many of them that's going to be their, their biggest challenge small market huge resource to sort it out. But I think looking on at something more positively obviously the pandemic has been dreadful for many, many people. And for our pets and our farm animals, the situation hasn't been quite as bad um, access to veterinary services has been restricted because obviously uh, people can't necessarily go into their, their, pet, uh, their pets vet but. New working practices have been established to allow that contact of, of vets that's required with the animals to uh, get access to services. And as we as we move into the post-COVID recovery, then we'll be working with our members to ensure this is carried out as safely as possible and adapting to new ways of working. As in human medicine, uh, remote consultations have proved really popular, and this has created an opportunity to deliver more products and services in a new way Allowed uh, collecting data to help with earlier disease notifications, for example.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So we think that the adapting to the lockdown has actually been a catalyst for change across the sector. It's accelerated the uptake of some new technologies, including areas such as home delivery and telemedicine. And in some respects, the, the genie is out of the bottle. Some pet owners, for example, will want to go back to using their vet in exactly the same ways previously. Some will want to have more of a remote access to those services. and I think that's something which is here to stay. In some respects, the US has led the way. Much, much greater uptake there of remote services, but we're now starting to see more of it here. So it's, it's really going to be quite an exciting future, I think.
0: Interesting. Is that sort of um, remote working and innovation something you've seen as well and do you think that's something that's going to continue in your sector or do you think it's very much once things are back open we're all back at it in person
2: um, no, I think that we formed new habits which will be uh, kept going. Uh, for example, I mean, I, I've mentioned our corridor. It's, it's only 65 miles or so from, from London up to Cambridge and Peterborough. Um, and, that, and that's really stretching it, you know. Um, it's only it's less than an hour on a train. Uh, but the reality is if we have a meeting with all the um Leaders and chief executives of the local authorities in that area, plus some of the key businesses like Stansted and AstraZeneca, etc. In fact, actually, the Royal Veterinary College in Camden, and um, just to, to link it into to, as one of the <laughs> universities that we collaborate just to, to keep the animal healthy going. But, um, uh, but you know, we, we won't get everybody there physically because um, if we meet in London, the London people come. If we meet in Cambridge, the Cambridge people come. If we meet in Harlow, which is a wonderful place, not least because actually it's going to be home to uh, the the newly renamed um, Public Health England or the National Institute uh, for Health Protection as I think it's new name is to be Uh, eventually. um, I'm slightly digressing here, but let's hope (laughs) the government make a decision on that quickly. But the point is if we physically choose a place, um, people never ever turn out fully. They just can't, you know, because there's travel involved and the rest of it. Actually, uh, you know, for our four key board meetings a year, a couple of hours to have everybody on a Teams or Zoom call is so much more efficient, so much more effective. And we've developed those habits, you know, now if we have an annual conference or something, when we can all do the networking and getting together and, you know, getting a minister to give a speech and that sort of thing. I'm sure we'll go back to face to face for some of those things, but I suspect it'll be very much a mixed Economy and actually, people I believe will be are being more productive provided they build in some personal space time as well.
1: Sure, yeah. brilliant. Yeah, no, and I definitely second that as well. Um, I mean, that's one thing which we've seen in our association uh, attendance at various meetings is definitely improved, and they're often much shorter. And of course you haven't got added in the time it's not where well, you mentioned the sort of train time to london for a meeting but it's also the half an hour you've got to allow either end for there being the delays and the cancellations so yeah i'm genuinely not not missing all that travel i must admit no me neither <laughs> <do>. <laughs> um,
0: no absolutely certainly i'm sure lots of thoughts for many um sectors and industries to have across the country about you know where does that time go where does that resource go There could be better spent elsewhere And um, from you know embracing this sort of remote innovation all right fabulous well kind of final couple of questions from me then i know we've touched on it a little bit already Anne, but i'd just like to hear perhaps maybe with the east of england specific a little bit more about what you think the budget will need to deliver in terms of leveling up and really supporting your region Well, yeah, if
2: you think of the east of England as a whole, so, you know, the whole Mm. Norfolk, Suffolk, as well as Cambridge, Peterborough and uh, uh, Essex, and going into Hertfordshire and Bedfordshire, the old eastern region, if you like. Mm -hmm. The Innovation Corridor um, uh, uh, cuts uh, through that in a uh, north-south way. And I, I, I think that one of the things that's lacking is government paying attention um, to the voice of the East of England, if I can put it like that, uh, whether it's the Cambridge Norwich Tech Corridor or, as I say, the Innovation Corridor or the, the coastal ports. I mean, you know, the ports in this country are absolutely critical to um, um, our success, mm. um, There's some other critical infrastructure, rail infrastructure. For the um, uh, West Anglia main line um, and the East Anglia main line. Uh, so just some attention uh, to projects uh, and and good initiatives that are going on uh, somewhere in the east, somewhere along the innovation corridor and the way in which government supports them as part of the recovery. Some of the, the, the buildings, st- I mean obviously I've mentioned um, the Public Health England in Harlow but mm. there's also Harlow and Gilston Garden Town there's other really uh, fantastically interesting environmental housing projects along the corridor uh, 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 Stephen, the development in, developments in Stevenage being another example there's loads of stuff they could just pick out and give give a Give it, provide some what some people call kind of anchor funding that would give from from government that would give. Um, Public uh, the, the the public money could be matched by the private investment money that we know is out there, whether it's in housing and residential or in commercial. People want to invest in this part of the country. Um, they they like uh, everything that there is about it in terms of the environment and the quality of life and the housing and the proximity and the connections, etc. So mm-hmm. you know, some something that that gave some recognition uh, for 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 some of those. Uh, developments that I've just highlighted would would really give a boost to everybody's morale.
0: Absolutely and then just final question for you Dawn then kind of almost similarly so how do you think that the budget can help to sort of level up Britain's R&D sectors or you know even with a more specific focus on animals remaining really strong and competitive in animal health after Brexit what do you think can be done there? Well,
1: Across the whole sector I think we need to incentivise innovation which is an easy easy thing to say, but it's it really very true. And one area as well which people often overlook is how do we innovate in our regulation? We're a heavily regulated sector and up until now we've been working under EU regulations. Right. We now have a, a new act which we're working under and we're going to have new regulations which will be, we'll st- work will start on that later this year. Um, And this actually does provide us with an opportunity because we don't have to do things the way that we used to do them under the old EU rules. So we're looking at what are the new regulations going to look like? How can they encourage innovation? Uh, What opportunities are there going to be for us outside of the EU? And simple things, which sound simple, just, just give us improved um, IP protection for new developments, new innovations in veterinary science. So I, I think that's something that we as an industry are quite excited about, the prospect of new regulations, which sounds really, you know, wow, you get excited over new regulations, but uh, it really is the sort of the bedrock of the industry. in addition to this better regulation I think that we do need some fiscal measures put in place alongside it so we have a forward-looking pragmatic regulator we need the government support alongside that uh, to make some of the new product development in the UK a reality and just an example something practical which we're trying to do at the moment the animal health industry and academia have already started working together to form a virtual animal health corridor so linking back into what Anne was talking about with a regional corridor and where this idea has come from in the U.S. There's a project called the Kansas City Animal Health Corridor, and they have built the largest concentration of animal health companies in the world, home to more than 300 and representing about 75 percent of global animal health businesses. This corridor um, in the U.S. provides not only R&D collaboration, but also networking opportunities, specialist education and training. Legal advice, obviously very important if you're looking at new startups, spinouts, spin-outs, etc. Also, very importantly, tax and incentive programmes and business relocation assistance. It's been going for a few years now, but it's built a really successful model. Mm-hmm. And we're looking at how we can develop something which is virtual, which brings together the existing centres of excellence we have here in the UK for animal health research. So, for example, we have Edinburgh, we have Belfast, we have Surrey. They're already working, they're running projects, but how can we work together to then promote that externally and have a portal to come into the UK to invest here in the UK? But we think this is quite a foresighted project, but it does need government support to get it started and be able to build on the clear incentives and attract business here into the UK. So we we think that we're part of the dynamic life sciences sector here in the UK, but mm-hmm. a specialism within it in animal health. But there is great potential uh, to build on expertise we already have, the businesses that we already have here, and work globally to export that the benefit
0: for all. Fantastic. Well, that's really you know brilliant insight from two quite different sectors, um, and interesting to hear where those sort of overlaps are, um, you know, particularly as they're sectors that aren't all that that don't crop up in my day-to-day um. so really fantastic to hear your thoughts on both of those so I guess now it's just time to see what Wednesday brings you know fingers crossed for this support for business I really like the point about you know we can any business can have that green focus we just need that investment and lots to think about in terms of investing and embracing innovation and the benefits that that can deliver for both of your industries, and you know, further beyond that, as well across the whole of the UK. So, from all of us at PLMR, I'd just like to say thank you both so much for your time. It was a pleasure speaking to you. Thanks, Thanks very much. much. Great, great to meet you, Dawn. Thank you. Great bye. to meet you too, Alan. And bye. Bye.